You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine with your host, Northwestern University internist, Dr. Lee Friedman. How can we optimize outcomes for pregnant women with structural heart disease, and how can we minimize the risks of complications that can arise during pregnancy for these patients? Joining us to discuss pregnancy and heart disease is Dr. Nazanin Mobili, founder and director of the Women's Cardiovascular Center at Penn Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Mobili. Thank you. We really appreciate you being with us, and I thought maybe we could start by talking about patients who are contemplating pregnancy, who have some pre-existing cardiovascular conditions, and one that seems to me that might be common would be hypertension. Is this something you deal with? Yes, we often deal with women who have pre-existing heart conditions who wish to become pregnant. Their heart conditions can range from something such as hypertension or something more complicated such as structural heart disease. We prefer to see these people prior to their undergoing pregnancy, prior to conception ideally, uh, because there are several parameters we assess before we can really determine their risk. One of those parameters is functional capacity and their prior history of any heart failure, arrhythmia, or stroke. If they have a history of one of those conditions, such as heart failure, more advanced heart failure, in particular New York Heart Association Class 3 and 4, then their risk for bad outcome with pregnancy significantly increases. We have some risk scores that we can really apply based on some work done by Samuel Sue and others who have helped us map out some of the ways of assessing risk in women with uh, underlying heart disease. We really can offer quite a lot of counseling prior to conception regarding risk. And I imagine some of the testing might involve echocardiography or stress testing. Is that how you assess these patients? Yes. So really, this is much like the assessment of most of our patients with any cardiac disease. We have two components. One is really the historical components. And these really include, like I mentioned, the heart failure, stroke, arrhythmia, or prior adverse events with pregnancy. And the other half, as you say, are echo cardiographic as well as other testing in the office. So, for example, if someone has a history of heart failure with a prior pregnancy or heart failure requiring admission in the past, that increases their risk by historical features. We then, you know, correlate that with echocardiographic findings. And if they have a depressed ejection fraction lower than 40%, then that also puts them at increased risk. So, there's both the historical component as well as these more testing kind of driven components that factor into the risk assessment. And as we are tending to see women get pregnant later, has that changed the spectrum of disease that has come across your office? Yeah, that's an excellent question. In the past, there was a lot of rheumatic heart disease coming to light with young women undergoing pregnancy. Still, that's a major concern in many developing countries. Recently, in the last 10 years, we've seen a lot of patients with congenital heart disease grow into their reproductive years thanks to surgical corrections and palliations. And Mm -hmm. so we're dealing with a lot of patients with congenital heart disease, both corrected and uncorrected, who are at childbearing age and undergoing pregnancy. And finally, you know, as age of the mom at pregnancy really advances, we are seeing more diabetes. We're seeing more coronary artery disease. I have a number of patients in my practice who have coronary disease who wish to become pregnant or have found themselves pregnant. And so we do deal with kind of a full range of disorders. Are there situations in which you would like to use certain medications to mitigate some of the cardiac risk, but then have to balance on the other side any teratogenic effects of these medications? 
There are certain situations such as you describe. I recently had a young woman who has coronary disease who I had to take off of her ACE inhibitor and her statin in order to avoid teratogenic effects. So it does come up. Luckily, it comes up infrequently, but certainly needs to be assessed on a case-by-case basis. More frequently, we encounter a situation where a woman has stable heart disease, for example, a congenitally corrected defect due to the stress of pregnancy, the hemodynamic stress of pregnancy, has an episode of congestive heart failure or pulmonary edema, and then we would need to treat that particular episode with diuretics or beta blockade. So, uh, you know, really it depends on the exact clinical scenario, and many times we don't treat people prophylactically, but rather wait, you know, to treat them as needed during their pregnancy. And in terms of prophylactic treatment, does it occasionally come up that a procedural approach is taken either for a valvular issue or perhaps even for coronary disease? Certainly, uh, with certain valvular issues, severe stenotic lesions pose a very high risk for pregnancy, both for mom and fetus. So, yes, we do recommend surgical intervention in some people with severe aortic stenosis or severe mitral stenosis prior to becoming pregnant. It's uncommon in other scenarios that we recommend prophylactic treatment. For example, in stable coronary disease, that we would treat those patients as if they were not necessarily to become pregnant and would not prophylax them with any procedural therapy, but would treat them as needed. But, you know, you raise an excellent point, which is we're really talking about a lot of different types of heart disease, and each type really needs to be treated very differently. So really, as with many things, a very individually tailored approach, depending on the specific patient, is what's called for. Exactly. And what's really fascinating about this particular area is that, you know, we really rely on our OBGYN colleagues and our anesthesia colleagues, the cardiologists. We need to have a team approach because the birthing plan needs to be determined once a patient has become pregnant and postpartum management is complicated. So it's a very interesting and important area for collaboration. And are there particular patients who you would just say the risk is too high, you really should not pursue getting pregnant? Yes, there are. For example, perpartum cardiomyopathy in a prior pregnancy really increases risk in subsequent pregnancy for poor maternal outcome, and we recommend those patients do not get pregnant. Pulmonary hypertension poses very high risk for mom and fetus, and we recommend that those patients with moderate to severe pulmonary hypertension don't undergo pregnancy. Cyanotic congenital heart disease is a little bit more complicated because it's a more diverse spectrum of disorders, but if a patient is cyanotic at rest, uh, then their risk of a bad outcome is very high and we counsel against pregnancy. So in those particular situations, the risk is just too high to really safely proceed with a pregnancy. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine on ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and joining me to discuss pregnancy and heart disease is Dr. Nazanin Mobley, founder and director of the Women's Cardiovascular Center at Penn Medicine. In terms of the peripartum cardiomyopathy, how do people do with that? What is the long-term prognosis for these women? So some women recover and uh, regain their uh, left ventricular function, and some women do not recover. I had a woman who developed acute onset peripartum cardiomyopathy at the end of her pregnancy and uh, required eventual heart transplantation. And so 
Some women do not recover. They may die or they may, you know, require transplantation as a life-saving therapy. So it really varies. But we do know that the risk of subsequent development of LV dysfunction exists in future pregnancies, and many women don't ever recover their baseline LV function. And going into a pregnancy, at this point, it sounds like there is no way to predict who might be at higher risk for this type of illness? Well, if a woman has had a familiar myopathy, which is different than a peripartum cardiomyopathy, they are at increased risk with pregnancy. If a woman has had peripartum cardiomyopathy in the past, they are also at increased risk for subsequent pregnancies. But those who continue to have very depressed LE function are the ones at highest risk. So if a woman recovers their LV function, they may do better in the case of a subsequent pregnancy than a woman who never recovers their ventricular function. But this is very, very difficult to quantify. And as a rule, we we counsel women who've had peripartum cardiomyopathy not to become pregnant again. And is this the type of thing, although, as you say, it's very rare and there isn't a lot of literature, tends to present toward the end of the pregnancy or it can happen really any time? It's defined by a presentation within the last trimester of pregnancy or in the peripartum, postpartum period. Are there other conditions that tend to come up with some of the physiologic changes that women go through when they're pregnant? Someone going into pregnancy was healthy, but now we see cardiovascular disease uncovered. So the most frequent development of cardiac disease really has to do with preeclampsia and gestational hypertension. There are many women who are healthy going into pregnancy who may develop uh, dysregulation of blood pressure. So as you know, normal pregnancies are associated with, with vasodilation and low decrease in blood pressure to a level below pre-pregnancy blood pressure, but a subset of women develop hypertension in their pregnancy, and some may even develop preeclampsia, which is the combination of hypertension and proteinuria. There's a great amount of debate as to whether this is an uncovering, so to speak, of a, a vascular process that was ongoing and subclinical, or whether this pregnancy initiates a process of vascular damage or vascular dysregulation that causes hypertension. We do know that these women do have higher incidences of remaining on antihypersensitive therapy after pregnancy, do have higher incidence of cardiovascular disease such as diabetes and myocardial infarction and stroke. Just some new retrospective studies looking at this show that women with severe preeclampsia may be at increased risk for cardiovascular disease in their lifetime. So that's interesting. So this could be a marker for women who, as they get older, are at increased risk for having these various types of cardiovascular problems that we see in our society. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's a very important opportunity for intervention, which is why I'm delighted to be at a place that does a high volume of obstetrics because we have an opportunity to educate women when they present. Uh, This is often women's first encounter, you know, with the healthcare Mm -hmm. system and a real opportunity for us to educate them as to their future risks. In terms of uh, hypertension and preeclampsia, is there data that shows that if you treat the hypertension, you can lower the chances of it becoming a situation where there's true preeclampsia? No, we cannot prevent preeclampsia by treating blood pressure. The data that does exist does not show that there is a successful way of preventing preeclampsia by just treating blood pressure. In fact, interestingly, some women have what we define as preeclampsia without obvious 
significant elevation in blood pressure, but they have significant proteinuria and other clinical parameters that make preeclampsia likely. And my understanding is in terms of hypertension in general during a pregnancy, we tolerate a higher blood pressure than we would otherwise. Is that still the thinking? The recommendation still uh, remains that basically uh, we begin treatment with a blood pressure greater than 140 over 90 or with symptoms. Okay, so the same sort of guidelines that we would use in a non-pregnant population. Not exactly. In a non-pregnant population, we subclassify them, you know, into the diabetics and the non-diabetics. And the pregnant, you know, in terms of the blood pressure goal, but in the pregnant population, we treat them all with one blood pressure goal. As you look ahead, are there areas of research or more information that we will need for various cardiovascular conditions in the context of pregnancy? Absolutely. Pregnancy is a very understudied area of medicine, and I think much research needs to be done as to why some women develop preeclampsia, why that elevates cardiac risk, what we can do to prevent it, whether or not treating someone's preeclampsia prevents complications down the road from cardiovascular disease. Many, many things to be learned. Uh, One particular area that's interesting to me is cardiac biomarkers and whether they can be helpful in stratifying patients' risks for developing preeclampsia. We did a study at Penn looking at pro-BNP levels and found that as the severity of hypertensive disorder increases, the elevation of BNP is is more significant. So Mm. there's a graded increase in BNP levels across people with gestational hypertension, preeclampsia, and severe preeclampsia. The next question is, is there a cutoff of BNP that we can use to really prospectively determine whether someone is at risk for developing preeclampsia and adverse uh, cardiovascular outcomes? The last question is, I think about this whole topic, if a woman is contemplating becoming pregnant and does not want to need your services, diet, exercise, are there other particular things that you would recommend prior to conception? In the era of obesity, I think diet and exercise do play a role in decreasing risk. We recently have gathered some information that points to obesity as a risk factor for adverse maternal and fetal outcomes. So certainly, dealing with weight loss prior to becoming pregnant is a a very important and relatively manageable part of becoming healthier prior to conceiving. Dr. Mobley, thank you for being our guest this week on Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine and for outlining for us some of the considerations for the time when pregnancy coincides with cardiovascular disease. Thank you. You've been listening to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. To download this program or access ReachMD on demand, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.